has been raised and we will be raised with him. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. If you're just jumping in with us, we're so glad that you're here. We've been doing a study called The Big Story. And what we're seeing is that Jesus is the main character of the whole Bible, front to back, Genesis to Revelation. And so even within the Old Testament, what we see is these resurrection truths, this resurrection glory shining through and calling us toward Christ. And so here on Easter Sunday, we're going to see this from Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to read the first 12 verses. It'll be on the screen if you don't happen to have your Bible with you. It says, My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your straight make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he he loves as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, our prayer is that this morning you would draw us into your presence so that we might forsake our understanding and submit it in faith to you. In fact, Lord, I pray that you would call us beyond our understanding and call us to contradict our opinions in devotion and allegiance to Christ over the self. I pray, Father, that this morning you would begin to call wandering sheep back into the fold. I pray, Father, that you would bring resurrection, new life to someone who right now is walking in death. I pray, Father, that you would call the wandering Christian now to walk devotedly in your paths. Father, we are thankful that we don't live this life by our own strength and we don't face the next life on our own good name, but we have the risen Christ and it's in his name that we ask all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So a few months ago, I had what I would call a unicorn of a day. One of those days that's unlike any other day, you know what I mean? And here's what I mean by that. I woke up, and the house was empty. There was not child nor wife. There was not job nor responsibility. No seminary work to do. No diapers to change. No SpaghettiOs to clean up. The house was organized and neat. And I looked at this blank canvas that was my day, and I thought, what did I used to do when I lived like this? And so I decided, since I had a a whole day just to myself, and that that I was going to do what introverts do. It wasn't enough that I was in a house alone. I decided I was going to walk as far into the woods as I could get, and get as far away from people as I could get. Anybody else out there ever feel that way? You know what I'm saying? Like, I love all y'all, but I really look forward to getting away. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, charge, I charge up being by myself, and I love to hike, and so I decided to go on this hike, and it was a hike that I've done 
hundreds of times probably. I've been hiking since I was a teenager, and this specific hike is the one that I've done more than any other. And so I get my backpack, and I get the water, and I get me a, a picnic lunch, and get everything just like I like it. And it's about two to three miles into this beautiful overlook called McDill Point uh, that's out there right off the Penhody Trail close to Chihaw. And I get there, and y'all, it's all, there, there's nobody. There's no other hikers. There's no traffic. There's just solitude, silence. It was awesome. So I get out there on this overlook, and I spread out my lunch, and I eat it, and I get it like, and they have like, there's like this perfectly uh, eroded rock that's kind of like in the shape of a lawn chair. And so, man, you're just chilling, you know? I mean, I'm laying there on a rock outside by myself. Nobody's got SpaghettiOs. Nobody's got a dirty diaper. Nobody's got something for me to do. Like, it's just chilling time. And I'm watching this osprey fly and looking down. There's like this big bowl and mountains and ridges on every side. And it's just, it's, it's awesome. So I lay there forever. Lot, I think I, I fell asleep. Like, I'm just, you know, like y'all are getting jealous. Some of y'all hadn't had a day like that in a long time. And, and look, this, this isn't normal for me either, okay? But I'm having so much fun that I decide what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the long way home. I, I like to walk. I like to hike. I was, it, it, was, it sounded great to me. And I'd been that way several times, but typically when I go that way, I'm coming from the opposite direction. I'm, I'm coming in that way, not leaving that way. And I know already that there's a, there's a campsite that you come to and there's a four-way intersection in the trail where two trails are crossing over each other and it's not well marked. It's not clearly identified. Like there's no signs that tell you. You just have to know. Like you got to have that local knowledge, you know what I'm saying, to make sure that you make the right turn. But I've, I've done it dozens of times. I was, not, I was not worried about it at all, but I go. And so I go and I get to the spot and, and I'm trying to, you know, do that mirror thing where you're reversing your path because I'm always coming from the opposite direction to make sure you're going back. And, and I make what I think is the right turn and I, I keep going, man. And I'm just living it up, like soaking it in, like telling Jesus how much I love him, listening for the woodpeckers, watch it. Like, it's just awesome. And the trail starts getting narrower and narrower. And it occurs to me, like I know this is the long way. But it's been a long way, like long, long way. And then I come to like this creek crossing, and I thought, I don't remember this before. This is different. And so I swallowed my pride, and I, I pull out Google Maps. And, and the trails are not on Google Maps, but I'm just trying to like triangulate my position, you know, because I've got this sinking feeling in the bottom of my stomach that maybe I'm not where I think I am. And I pulled this thing out. And y'all, I'm not 100 feet off the trail. I'm miles and miles away from where I'm supposed to be. I'm miles away from my truck. And I am in a place where I'm like, I don't even know what, where to go from here. And so it goes from being this restful, enjoyable, enjoying my time to being this panic. I, I've got, how am I going to get home? I've, so it was supposed to be a six-mile hike. It was an 18-mile hike. Y'all hear me? 18 miles. So I, I, I realized that I'm not going to be able to come out. At, so I was parked up at the top. There's a trailhead up at the top of Chihaw. I come out on County Road 49, like way on down County Road 49. And I get out there, and the only thing that I can think is Andrew lives close to here. But goodness gracious, I don't want to call Andrew. But I'm so tired. And I don't know if you've ever been over there, but it's straight uphill from my position to where I need to be. Straight uphill. And I thought, all right, here it goes. 
So I call him. I say, hey, buddy, what you doing? What you doing? I'd be good, man. I said, hey, uh, would you happen to be home? No, I'm in Gadsden. Well, that's unfortunate. And y'all, I, I swear, some of y'all swerved around me. Because the cars kept coming by. And I thought somebody, like a, a, a sheriff came by. And he swerved around me. He didn't offer me a ride to the top. So I have to call my wife. Hey, sweetheart, I may be a little late for dinner. Um, I've got about six miles left to go straight uphill. So she ends up coming and she rescues me and it gets me and it's a whole embarrassing thing and I have to swallow my pride, right? But but it's funny because I went looking for peace and I ended up being lost. And I think that's a picture of the way many of us feel in our lives. All of us are, are pursuing basically the same things. What all of us, all of humankind, all seven billion people that span this globe are basically looking for provision, peace, and purpose, aren't they? Provision, peace, and purpose. Those are the things that we want. Those are the things that are imprinted on our souls that we're desiring. But for many of us, we we start down on the path that feels like the right path, that we think is the right path, but we end up realizing that we aren't closer to peace but further away. That the peace, peace the, the path that we thought would lead us to the destination of peace actually leads us toward exhaustion. It actually leads us toward anxiety. And we end up miles and miles and miles off course, unsure of how we're going to make our way back. And this is what Solomon is getting at in Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs chapter 3, what you have really in the first nine chapters of Proverbs is you have Solomon and he's instructing his son and he's teaching his son so that his son will have the wisdom that he needs to be able to navigate the difficulties of life. And he comes to Proverbs chapter 3 and what he's doing is, I know what you want, son. You need what everybody else needs. You need peace. You need provision. You need, you need purpose. But there's only one path. There's only one path to get there. And so what we see in Proverbs chapter 3 is we see him teaching his son so that his son will not get lost. And by listening in, we can listen so that we won't get lost on the way to our journey to peace. Three things I want you to see this morning about this journey. The first thing I want you to see is that you have to remember your map. Remember your map. Sorry about that. We had, that's from previous service. Let me, uh, let me get us a refresh here. I want you to remember your map. So you'll notice something interesting about Proverbs chapter 3 in that every other verse talks about what God gives. Talks about what God's given. In other words, every other verse throughout Proverbs chapter 3 is kind of giving you a picture of the destination that you're looking for. A picture of the destination that you're looking for. You know, it occurred to me that if I would have had a map, my whole catastrophe would have been avoided. But, of course, I was too prideful, and I didn't bring a map, and I didn't download the right app. And, by the way, the Pinote truck doesn't show up on Google Maps, so that's not going to help you any. If I would have just had a simple map, I would have known at that intersection exactly which trail to take to get to my destination. And so Solomon is here talking about the destination that his son is seeking, that all people are seeking. And he's saying, I want to give you a map. I have been working and laboring like parents do throughout all of my life that you would have a map so that you might end up at the right destination. So he's weaving throughout the passage, every other verse, reminding him, this is what you're seeking and this is how you get there. This is the map on how you arrive. And all of the, every other verse are kind of summarized in that first uh, mentioning of peace. Now you've probably heard before of the Hebrew word shalom. And that's the word that for peace here. 
so, so peace in this context, it doesn't mean like this, this calm, tranquil feeling that comes and goes that the way we associate with peace. It, it, it's not just talking about like a quiet sunset over the, over the mountain pass. Okay, Peace in the, in the shalom sense is whole person peace. It's holistic peace. It means to be right with yourself. It means to be right in your relationships with your family and with your neighbors. It means to be right with God. It's whole person peace so that in every area of your life, you're thriving and you're living on course in the way that God designed and intended for you to do. And we've talked about this before. This is the thrust of Proverbs, that you would live according to the design of God and thrive in the way of God, that it might go well with you. And so Solomon is saying, son, I know what you're looking for is wholehearted, whole life peace. And so what I need to make sure is that you don't lose the way, that you have the map. And so he says, son, do not forget my teachings. Don't forget my map. Don't forget the path that I have established. He restates it in the second part of the verse, the same principle in a different way. He says, let your heart Keep my commandments. Now, the word keep there helps us understand what he's talking about. It can be translated literally as guard. Guard. Let your heart guard my commandments. So here's what he's saying. I want you to live vigilantly. I want you to live purposefully. I want you to be intentional that you make sure that you're not just wandering through life, but that you're stepping and walking in accordance with the teachings that I've established with you. I want you in your heart, and remember, we've, we've talked about what heart means, right? It doesn't just mean feelings and emotions. In the Hebrew sense, it means our, our mind. It means our, our desires, our wants. It means our choices and our actions. All of these things are encompassed. He says, in the totality of who you are, I want you to guard and make sure that you remain vigilant, that you don't forget the map that I've given to you. Now, there's two different ways that we can forget. There's passive forgiveness, forgetfulness, and there's willful forgetfulness. Passive forgetfulness, some of, some of y'all are going to do this this afternoon. Some of y'all left the oven on before you, left, before you went home, or before you came to church today, right? But, but passive forgetfulness is when you put the bread in the oven, and it's just like you like it, and then you go and you fix the mashed potatoes, and you take care of the screaming kid, and you get your deadbeat husband to go do something for the first time, right? Like, and then you remember, oh, the bread, the bread, and you go, and the bread is black as soot, right? You just get distracted. you got too many other things going on, and, it, and you drift slowly away. You didn't intend to forget. You just you forgot. It was passive. The other kind of forgetfulness is willful, for, willful forgetfulness. That's a, that's a mouthful. Willful forgetfulness is like when you forgot to report all of your income on your taxes, right? Willful forgetfulness is like when you forgot that your curfew was at 11, right? Willful forgetfulness is, in other words, it's when you push the right out of your mind. You know what I'm saying? It's when you push what you know you ought to do. It's when you push what you know you're, who you're supposed to be out of your mind so that you can do what you actually want to do. So that you can do what you actually desire to do. So it's, it's using, it's, a, it's the action of the will to cause and remind the mind what it ought to forget, what it needs to forget. And both of these ideas of forgetfulness are in Solomon's mind as he's talking to his son. He's saying, son... Don't forget your way. Don't drift off course slowly. Don't wake up one day and, believe, and realize that you're lost like so many of us do. And, and son, 
Be on guard. Be vigilant. Don't allow yourself to to become enamored with all of the trappings of the world and and all of the temptations of the world and all of the offerings of the world so that you push out my instruction. No, 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 no. Hold fast. Remember the map. I wonder if you've forgotten your map. I wonder if you've forgotten your map. I wonder if it's just been busyness and one foot in front of another and there was a time in which you're, you were red hot for the Lord and you were committed to Christ and you were committed to the church and you were, you were growing in the Lord but then you got a new job or you got a new relationship or you, you had a new obstacle or a new health issue that came into your life and just it became one foot in front of the other and you missed the big picture and somewhere along the line you drifted away because you forgot the map. It was a passive forgetfulness but you forgot nonetheless. Or, or, or maybe there was an opportunity that came and you knew it wasn't right and you knew it wasn't what the Lord would have you to do. And you knew that it would bring, drive a wedge in your marriage or, or take you away from your kids. Or, or You knew that it would cause you to become disengaged with the body of Christ. And, and you knew all of that, but it was such an important opportunity. It was the fulfillment of so many ambitions. And so you pushed out of your mind what you thought you, what you knew you ought to do so that you could ultimately do what you wanted to do. It was a, a willful forgetfulness. I wonder if this morning you're feeling lost. And I wonder if you're feeling lost because you've forgotten your map. Solomon's not just wanting him to remember what he said. He's wanting him to follow his example. In, in other words, Solomon is, is saying, I've established a trail for you, son, and I want you to walk in my footsteps. That's the nature of trails, isn't it? I love, you get on these trails, and it's really amazing. You always, I always wonder, like, who's the first people to discover some of these landmarks that our trails go to? But what is a trail? A trail is a well-worn path by other people that lead you to the destination that you're ultimately hoping to make it to. And so what Solomon is saying is, son, I've worn down a path that gets to the things that you're looking for, that gets to the destination that you're searching for, and I want you to follow in my footsteps... So that you can end up in the same place. Let me show you where I'm getting at. I'm getting at verse 3. He uses a phrase that comes up pretty commonly in the Bible. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Now, steadfast love, if you've been with us, when we were, especially when we were talking about Ruth, this is the word has said in Hebrew. All right? And the only reason I point that out is because it's one of the most important words in all of the Old Testament. It's a reference to the covenant love of God. It, it, the word literally means loyal love, devoted love, committed love. It, it's, it's a love that says, I'm going to uphold you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to be with you and provide for you and protect you. I, I'm going to make sure that I'm for your good. That it's, it's a love that's more than sheer emotion. It's a love that's actually activated in real life. And so God pours the bread out of heaven or water out of a rock. And it is a picture of his said love as he is providing the real world needs for his people in the moment. Faithfulness, these, these, this phrase typically as it comes together throughout the Old Testament, uh, the steadfast love, of, uh, steadfast love and faithfulness are typically referring not to a person but to the Lord himself. And faithfulness is usually referring to the trueness of God, that God is true to his character and true to his word and true to his promises, that he upholds all the things that he says he's going to do. So there's an important picture for us that I want you to be sure to see. That, that what Solomon is doing is he's personifying it. He's, he's saying, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. In other words, treat them like a guest that's trying to leave your house and you chain them to your arm. You bind them around your neck. You write them on your hearts. And it's a reference to what God has done with his people. See, this wasn't Solomon's trail originally either. 
This was a trail that was first blazed by the Lord himself and his love for his people and his choosing of his people and his salvation of his people and the providing of his people. The Lord poured out his love on his people and then they respond back to him in kind. And so Solomon is saying the the generosity that has characterized my reign, it should characterize your reign because I'm following what my heavenly father did. And so as your earthly father follows your heavenly father, you follow him too. Go down this well-grooved trail and follow after me that you might be a generous man, that you might be a faithful man, that you might be steadfast in love, that you might be a benevolent king and a kind person and the kind of man that is true to the covenant of God himself, that you would hold yourself faithful over the generations. It reminds me of something that Jesus says. The phrase that Jesus repeats more often in the Gospels than any other phrase is the phrase, follow me. Follow me. That if you want what I have to offer, if you want the abundant life that I'm offering, if you want the eternal life that I'm offering, if you want the peace that surpasses all understanding as Paul sums up the reality of Christ, if you want the the joy of Christ that comes from abiding in Christ, then what you must do is follow after the well-worn path of Jesus. See, the temptation is, is for us to all seek the things that Jesus promises apart from the path that Jesus walks. But Jesus says that if you will follow after me, if you will be my disciples, if you want my gifts, if you want what I have to offer, if you want what I promise you in the kingdom, then you have to follow in my way. Are you following Jesus? Honestly, are you following Jesus? Are you trying to blaze your own path through, the, through this world? Are you trying to blaze your own path through, your path through this life? I bet you feel lost if you are. I bet you feel lost. He doesn't just tell his son to remember his map, though. He tells his son, watch your step. Watch your step. You know, if you begin to think about what he's talking about, he's talking about this shalom, and all of us intuitively know that this is exactly what we want. He continues to help us understand. I want you to think about where you see this in our world. Look at verse 8. So remember, he's continuing this every other verse where you see he's giving a picture of the destination. What do you want? You want your paths to be straight. What do you want? You want healing in your flesh, refreshment in your bones. What do you want? You want your barns to be filled. You want plenty. You want your vats bursting with wine. What do you want? Then let me show you how to get there, okay? Verse 8 helps us understand a little more in depth what this shalom, what this shalom means. It says, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So the flesh... That's the part of you that everybody can see, isn't it? That's outwardly visible. That's the outward life. That's the outward man, the outward woman. It's, 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 It's the part of you that everybody else actually knows. But what are the bones? The bones, that's the internal infrastructure of who you are. That's that's what allows you to stand up straight and support your weight, but nobody else can see it. It's the inward man. And so we in our society typically try to focus on one or the other. We, we think we can have enough Botox, we can eat enough organic food and free-range chicken and 
Take enough multivitamins that the outward man is going to be fine and everything else will just eventually catch up. Or, or, or we, we think that maybe we can just meditate or we can live our own truth and have our own happiness and have our own peace. And, and somehow everything else will fall in line that way. But what this is, is the way that God designs us is we are integrated people. We are outer man and inner man at the same time. And both must be thriving in order for us to thrive as people. And so this is at the forefront of what Solomon is presenting to his son and to us as true wisdom, the kind of wisdom that will enable us to thrive in this world and not feel so stinking lost and afraid all the time and overwhelmed all the time. And so he begins to ask him these three, he presents these, these truths to ask us three questions that kind of help us make sure that we're headed in the right direction. The first question that he asks is, are you stepping onto solid ground? Are you stepping Onto solid ground. Look at verses 5 and 7 with me. I want, I want to, they, they are the repeating of the same principle. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, what is the heart? Remember, let me, let's remind. The heart encompasses the thoughts and the opinions and the beliefs of the person. The, hearts, the heart encompasses the wants, the desires, and the emotions of the person. The, the heart encompasses the choices, decisions, and actions of the person. So trust in the Lord with the totality of who you are, with what you think, with what you love, with what you do. Trust in the Lord with the totality of your whole person. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So verse 7, be not wise... In your own eyes. So I want you to think about what he's saying. Do you want to know why I got lost? Because I overestimated myself. Because I believed I knew what I didn't know. Because I believed that I understood what I didn't actually understand. I thought I knew the way when I really didn't know the way. And Solomon is presenting his son. He's saying every man, woman, and child has to choose between two alternatives. Who will you trust? Will you trust yourself or will you trust the Lord? Will you lean upon your opinions? Will you lean upon your feelings on the matter? Will you lean upon the currents of society and the way they shaped your worldview? Or will you trust in the Lord with the totality of who you are as a person? That is, will you believe that your understanding is supreme or in the Lord's declarations and decree are supreme? Now, this is what our culture finds so offensive. This, this is what our culture can't wrap their minds around. That, this is what, honestly, all of us internally struggle with from time to time. Because God says things that are different than our opinions, and God says things differently and calls us to things that make us uncomfortable, that are different than the way that we feel like they ought to be. And so the world comes and we think there's never been a society that has been more understanding than our society, more, uh, more informed and enlightened and educated. We are living in the single most educated time in all of human history. And the danger of that, as good as education is and as important as intellectual exploration is for the human mind, the danger of it is, is that we can begin, begin to develop an un healthy dependence upon our own understanding and our own ability to process what is true. And so he says, you know what this is like? This is like leaning up against a rotten post. The idea of trust, it's meant to paint a picture. The idea is to be laid out completely spread. 
And it's like being on a mattress. And it's, it's dependent that something can uphold your weight, that something can bear the fullness of who you are and not collapse under the weight. And so when it's talking about not leaning upon your own understanding, it's saying not sitting in a broken chair. That when you sit in that chair, you're going to collapse. When you lean up against that post, the post is going to give way and you're going to fall down. It reminds me, a few years ago, Megan and I were building a house. And the, the lot was kind of unlevel, and so in the back, it was a pretty good drop. And so we had this back porch that was going to kind of span the, the, the full width of the main level of the house, but it was 20 feet or so off the ground. And so we were up there, and the house was starting to come together, and they had come to build the, the deck, and all of those kinds of things were supposed to be done. And we're in there painting, and y'all, we're so tired. You know, we're so tired. Well, by the way, I agreed to paint that house because my wife said, I'll help you. I would love We'll, we'll do this together. And you know what she did? She got pregnant. Okay? She got pregnant. And nine months in, it's time to paint this house. So she, here, here, I'll tell you all that. I want you to picture my wife here. My dad and I, we're painting. We're getting out. We're covered. We're tired. And, and my nine-month pregnant wife is there. And she opens the door out of our bedroom to step onto the deck. And my dad and I both scream. I mean, shrill. And I go to tackle her. Because the porch was supposed to be built, but the porch wasn't built. And she was about to step on a porch that wasn't there. And it was one of those moments in your life where really everything flashes right in front of your eyes. And I could just watch my wife and little girl plummeting. And that's a picture of what it looks like to trust your own understanding. You reach out to step, but the ground isn't solid beneath you. Your opinions are shifting and your opinions are, are shaded by all kinds of, of presuppositions that you bring to the table. Your opinions are, are formed by all kinds of sinful corruptions that are in your heart and in your mind and in this world. Your, your opinions are shaped and your feelings are shaped and they, they lead you astray. But, and so you go to God and say, but God, I think, I think, I think. And it says, thus saith the Lord. And in that moment, in that moment, you are deciding not just whether or not you choose the Lord or choose your own understanding. You're deciding whether you're choosing life or death, firm foundation, or a collapsing floor beneath your feet. If you don't have a God that sometimes disagrees with you, that overrules your opinions, that, has, that, that despite what you might feel about sexuality, has a declaration that is different than your, your definition of sex, sexuality, that despite what you feel about uh, connectedness in the body of Christ, has a different definition of what that, if you have a God that will not correct you and overrule your opinions, you have a homemade puppet and not a risen Savior. Not a risen Savior. So are you stepping on the solid ground? Second question I think we see is, is your compass true? Is your compass true? He says in verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge him. Now, I think the word acknowledge is a dangerous one for us, so I want to clarify. It means to know in this context. So I think when we, we say in all our ways acknowledge him, it means in all our ways tip the old cap to Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, thank you for all this. I'm going to go do what I want to do now, right? But that's not what he's talking about at all. What he's actually talking about, in all your ways acknowledge him in every arena of your life, live in, in light of the fact that you are a person who knows God. 
In every arena of your life, live in light of the fact that you're a person that believes that God is reigning on the throne, that you are answerable to him, that he has designed this world in a specific way. And so prioritize and organize your life in such a way so that you are living in the face of the the Lord and not as a functional and practical atheist. See, there are times in our lives in which a map would be really nice, wouldn't it? Some of y'all, you hear me talk about remembering that. You're like, yeah, show me where the map is and I'll go there. That would be great if I just knew where the map was, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do between these two jobs and I don't know where I'm supposed to go to college and I don't really know who I'm supposed to marry or what I'm supposed to do with this huge looming decision about my business. Give me a map. The truth is most of our lives are lived in the gray areas, aren't they? Most of our lives are lived in areas in which the map seems unclear to us. Which, which is really difficult for us to get our bearings. And when the map is unclear, when you become disoriented or disorganized in, in your thoughts and in the direction that you were supposed to go, what do you need? You need a compass that points true north, don't you? You need a compass that allows you to get your bearings again. In other words, you need a compass that will establish for you the right priorities and the right directions to help ensure that you don't get off course. Or, if you got off course, that you can quickly get back on course. And the knowledge of God, having the awareness that I am a person who knows God and believes in God and trusts in God, it functions as the true north in the life of a believer. That I am going to organize the entirety of my life so that my priorities are founded upon Christ. See, most of us, if I was to ask you to describe your priorities, you'd give me a list. You know, like faith, family, football kind of thing. You know, like you've heard so many. So, so Jesus, if I was, you, you would tell me Jesus is your top priority probably, right? But functionally in our lives, Jesus plays the role of if I get all the homework done, if bath time goes okay, if... Uh, my job isn't too demanding, if the weather isn't too nice, if my favorite show isn't on television, if there are no Little League games tonight, if, 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 then I'll have time for Jesus. And we give Jesus the leftovers of our life and we have no relationship. And yet we say, no, this is the blazing center of my life. This is the number one priority. See, I think the reason that most of us feel lost is that our compass is broken. The reason most of us feel lost is that our compass is broken. See, Jesus isn't just supposed to be the top priority, the number one priority, and then all the other priorities fall under him. Jesus must be the foundational priority upon which every other priority is built. How can I parent? How can I coach? How can I work in such a way that I know Christ better and help others to know him at all? That Christ isn't just a room in the house. He doesn't just get a closet down in the end. He doesn't just hang out in the guest bedroom. Christ is the whole entire enchilada. See, the question that Easter causes us to wrestle with is do you actually believe Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you really believe that? Because if you believe that Jesus was really raised from the dead, there is nothing else in your life that matters beyond him. There is nothing else other than him that is able to support the weight of your hope and the weight of your aspiration and the weight of your future and the weight of your joy and the weight of your anxieties and the weight of your pressure. And so if you believe that Jesus is actually the man who was raised from the dead, that you can have new life in him, then the entirety of your life must be founded and anchored upon him if your life is is going to stand at all. And if Jesus, the resurrected Christ, is not your due north, Oh, friends, you're going you're gonna to falter. You're going to waver. You're going to end up lost and afraid 
and worn out. The last question that we see is, are you wondering or are you walking? So he does something that you might say is hard to deal with on Easter. He talks about money, okay? And you're there and you're like, Solomon, like, I'm not seeing what you're talking about here. Trust in the Lord, lean not on your own. Self. Remember your map, do all that, and all your ways acknowledge him. And then you say, honor the Lord with your wealth. Like, what is the connection there? But see, it goes back to those every other verse realities, those destinations, that, that shalom, whole body, whole person, peace that you're seeking after. How is it that most of us try to attain that? Through our money. People play the lottery, why? So they can have peace. People hoard money, why? So they can have peace. People spend money, why? So they can have peace. People go and, and they take on uh, insurmountable credit card debt, why? So that they can have some, some momentary fleeting peace, some momentary fleeting sense of provision and purpose and prosperity in their lives. That in other words, all of these things that God can only give to us, we try to shortcut by getting them through having enough in our savings account, by getting the next raise, by getting the promotion that we've been looking for, by getting the job placement out of college that, that we're hoping for. And we put all of our eggs in this basket. So we're not trusting in the Lord. We're trusting in what makes sense to us. We're trusting in what we can provide for ourselves and how we can bring that home to us. There's no accident that Jesus talks about money more often than he talks about heaven. Did you know that? Jesus talks about money more often than he talks about heaven. And do you know why? Because money reveals what you actually trust. Money reveals what you actually believe will make you happy. Money reveals what you actually believe will bring goodness and peacefulness into your life. And so if you want to know what kind of person you are, you want to know what your priorities are, you want to know uh, wh where you believe that all the aspirations of your life are going to culminate and how it is that you can look at your bank account, look at your credit card statement, look, look, at, look at where your five-year financial goals are, look at them and see, is Jesus factor in here? So he says, son, son, what I want you to do is give your first fruits. I want you to give me your best. I want, you, I want you to give me, before you know there's any more coming, whatever comes in the beginning, I want you to give me that because, because I want you to know that whatever prosperity you experience, whatever provision you get, it is not dependent upon you. Your trust is not in what you can make. Your trust is in the Lord, the Lord. So don't give him your leftovers. Give him your best. You want to know the difference between walking and wandering? When I'm wandering, I'm open to any path that's available. I, I, know, I have a general idea of where I'm going. I have a general idea of where, where I want to end up. But if a better opportunity comes by, if a, if a more prosperous opportunity comes by, if a more appealing path shows itself, I can just assume go that way. But if I'm walking, there's purpose. I know where I'm headed and I know how I'm going to get there. And so it's one foot in front of another. It's one day after another. It's trusting and trusting that this path is going to lead me to the destination that I ultimately hope to end up in. I wonder this morning, what are you doing? Are you wandering or are you walking? Are you walking after the Lord and following down the trail that he has established? Or are you open to different paths, even if they lead you off course? The final thing I want you to see this morning is that you must appreciate course correction. Appreciate course correction. You know what made me feel the silliest of all that day I got lost hiking? It's how much fun I was happen, having in the wrong place. 
And here I am, and I'm having just a good old time, just a good old boy out in the woods all by myself, not changing diapers, not cleaning SpaghettiOs, not doing any of that kind of stuff. And I'm having the time of my life. And the whole time, I am walking farther and farther and farther away from where I actually intended to go. I thought that day was going to make me rested, and it took me like three days to recover from it. You know what I mean? Like it was supposed to make me feel rested, but it actually just wore me out more. It exhausted me more. And it's terrifying when you think about it. That you can be lost and not know it. That you can be lost and for a while it's a lot of fun. That you can be headed farther and farther and farther from the actual place that you want to be. And everything can seem just fine for a little while. You go through high school and you do the thing and you kind of fall in line. And you know what you ought to do and you know where you ought to go. And you know who you ought to trust in. But everybody else is having a good time and you just want to have a good time. And it seems fun. And it seems fun. And you graduate and you go to college and you do the college thing. And, and, and you know where you ought to go and you know how you ought to be. And you know where you ought to trust. But it seems fun. And everybody else is doing the thing. And so you just kind of fall in line. And it's fine. You get married and that seems okay. It's bumpy. But hey, what marriage is it? And you have kids. And you get the job that you want and you, get the, you have some success in your life and you have some money in your savings account and you have a mortgage and you have all these things. And you get and you realize my life looks like a postcard but it feels like a nightmare. And I don't know how I ended up here. All I did was what felt right, seemed right, was enjoyable in the moment. But here I am and I'm in a place and I thought I was going in the right direction and it felt okay. But here I am and I feel lost. You think back. You can think back through the advice that maybe your parents gave you. The counsel of well-meaning friends who threw up warning signs that don't go that way, don't go that way. You can think back, back through sermons that you heard that were calling you to account and you knew, you knew a course correction was in line. You can think about moments in which God through sickness or through hardship or through suffering or through death brought you to the end of yourself calling you into humility and you knew in that moment that your life was calling for a course correction but stop sign after stop sign caution light after caution light you've blown through them and blown through them and blown through them because you were just doing what is wise in your own eyes and you end up in a place of complete self-destruction of self-sabotage that's where he lands with his son and he says son stop running from the correction of God Stop running through all the caution lights. Don't run and avoid rebuke. Don't avoid reproach. Don't avoid correction. Don't avoid discipline. Invite it into your life that it might come in earlier and save you from some pain and some hardship. It's interesting. Verse 1 starts with my son. The beginning. Verse 11, as he's coming to his conclusion, he revisits it. He says, my son. You can feel the warmth in his voice. You can feel the concern for his boy. And then verse 12, he says, For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as what? A father, the son, in whom he delights. That when we seek to avoid correction, we're not seeking more love. We're seeking less love. That this is, that, that his, the, that his, the destination that he's hoping to attain and the, the path that he's seeking to take and the discipline that he's to receive along the way isn't just about who God is, though that is preeminent. It's also about who he is. And here's his principle. If you are a son or a daughter of the living God, he will not let you self-destruct without inter- intervening. 
That God himself is coming in pursuit of you and God himself will allow hard things into your life and God himself will allow hard conversations in your life and God himself will allow hard sermons in your life that he might change your course and call you back away from lostness and anxiety and worry and self-destruction that you might be bring through a lesser degree of suffering to avoid a greater degree of suffering. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. You know, I bet there are some of you, you don't even know why you ended up here. You're here because your wife wanted you to be here. You're here because it's just what you're supposed to do. But here you are. And I want you to hear, like, this is a church that is never going to beat you up ever for that. We want, if, you, if you've been a gone for six years, we want you back this Sunday. We're going to welcome you with the grace of Jesus. And here, here, in the providence of God, maybe why God brought you this morning. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't because your wife wanted you to be here. It wasn't because it's just something that happens on Easter it's because he's calling you back home as his son. Are you his son? Are you his daughter? Are you not indifferent to the knowledge of God? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do you believe that he is the foundation upon which all of your life should be built? And here you are still believing all of that feeling lost. And this morning, the Lord is calling you home and he's calling you back into the fold. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Now, accept the course correction. Now, come in. Come back into the fold. Now, enjoy my fellowship. Stop leaning on those rotten posts and come now instead and fellowship with me that you might abide with me and have my joy and have an abundant life and have shalom, peace, Inward, outward person. This morning, will you accept the invitation? Will you accept the invitation? You have to choose between two alternatives. Will you trust yourself? Or will you trust in the Lord? That is, will you keep getting lost? Or will you come home? Let's pray to the Lord together. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.